Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy the show. Listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting behind the glass inside the fish tank is Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we step inside the MCU. I know how much you love the I, MCU. I, I, I'm just really pleased to hear you say those words with a smile on your face. As we cover our top five favorite moments. From the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So far. Exactly. You know we're going to have to do another one of these soon. Well, let's give it another... Throw it in the jaw box. How, how many years are we at of the MCU? When did Iron Man come Ele- out Ele- off the top of your head? 2008. Okay. This is year 11. <laughs> All right. So 11 years. It's time we can do a top five moments from the MCU. Yeah. Sorry to rob you uh, in the fish tank, Phil. Uh, to help us do this list, we have to have an expert of sorts. Yes. Right? Yeah. I completely agree. So we brought in Tim Seeley for his second appearance. You might know Tim as a comic book artist and writer on books like Grayson, Hackslash. He's got a bunch of new projects. We're going to talk to Tim all about that good stuff. I ran into Tim at an uh, after party from C2E2. Where was I? You didn't... I I think it was the day before you graced us with your presence at C2E2. It's only me and Phil went up there, but... Ran into Tim there, so I can't wait to talk to him about uh, how, how the convention went and what's up. Can't what's wait new. For, to apologize to him for having to hang out with uh, <laughs> Ryan Phil. Besides that, we have even more going on, don't we, Phil? Oh, yeah. We talked about it a little bit. We're also going eye for an eye on Avengers Endgame. And we have a review of The Mustang. Ooh, The Mustang, the horse movie. Yeah. Actually, it's a horse prison movie. Even better. Prison. Yeah. It's interesting because I... I I'm in, interested to hear what you have to t- say about it, but I would originally say that's a horse movie. I know. I would originally say that's a prison movie because prison movies are better. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Better than what? Horse movies? Yeah. No way. <laughs> of course they are, dude. I love a good jail movie, and, and, but and not, nowhere near as good as the, I, I like a horse movie. The term dude here was uh, pun f- firmly intended. <laughs> Cinema, Cinema war. war. You're going down, buddy. Horse movies rule. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. Oh, it's right. like horse apples. Well, also, since we are going eye for an eye on Avengers Endgame, I thought this is a good time for Matt. You to take Tim on in game movie trivia. Think of movies with game in the title. Okay. Sound good? Yeah. Uh, also, we are still celebrating Stephen King this month. What a great month this is. Yeah. So let's start off with a fact, Phil. So actually, instead of a fact, uh, this week we are going to read and discuss the results of a poll that we had sent out. Uh, so we threw this poll question out on Twitter uh, asking what was the best Stephen King adaptation. Uh, and the four choices that we had were The Shining, Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me, and Misery. Uh, before we, we get into what the Jawheads had voted in, uh, where uh, Ryan and Matt, where do you guys stand? I saw this question. I weighed in. And look at the choices. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. They're right. all great. Sophie's choice for sure. Right? Yeah. It's like, th- wow. No doubt about it. Love them all. And Agree. I think looking at the poll, I probably felt bad for a couple of these movies because I thought there's going to be two that are really going to be neck and neck going for, for the win. Yeah. And one of my favorite films is Stand By Me. I love this movie. 
I think Rob Reiner did an excellent job directing it. No so arguments. I went ahead and I clicked Stand By Me I'm out actually, of this choice. I'm surprised to hear you say that. I would have pegged you for a Shining guy. Where did you cast your vote? Man? Well, hey, man, a little foreshadowing of the cinema war later, but I went with Shawshank Redemption. It's like one of the, if not the greatest movies ever made. That's what I chose. Interesting. Let's hear how the Jawheads did, huh? Yes. So <laughs> it, it was a... Uh, uh, Pretty clear-cut race uh, for—it was divided in half, like Ryan said. Um, in fourth place, with 11% of the vote, was Misery. Mm, only 11%. I kind of saw that coming. We should have put the—we should have played the Misery clip before we sent the poll question out, <laughs> see if that changed anyone's mind. Um, coming in third, with 17%, was Ryan's pick, Stand By Me. Mm, I'm happy with 17%. Good showing. Uh, with 34% of the vote— in a very, very close second came The Shining, meaning that at 38%, the winner was uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman in the film Shawshank Redemption. Ah. It's very close, though. I mean, it just goes to show that the strength of The Shining after, what is it, God, 35, 40 years? Can we throw that in the fish tank? Do it. Um, but, I mean, I know it was in the 70s at least, maybe the 60s, and it's an old-ass movie, way older than The Shawshank Redemption, and yet... So close. Good poll question. Indeed. All right. Let's get this show moving on with our guest. As you mentioned, Tim Seeley making his second appearance here on Cinema Jaw. Comic, artist, writer. He's got so much going on. I don't even know where to start. Tim, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thanks for having me, guys. I was, I was waiting for my invite, just, just quietly in my house by myself, just waiting. Well, so, what I like... Glad be, to finally have you back, yeah, buddy. Thank you. What I like, Tim, is, is besides just being, you know, interesting on the comic being a, a, a somebody that can draw comics and, and write comics, you are a very big mo- movie fan. Oh yeah, for so, sure. So it makes Second it love, like, hey, for yeah, sure. exactly. It makes it like, hey, Tim's perfect guest for Cinema Job. I, I have a, a bit of a outside the box question. When you're when you're drawing, obviously not when you're writing because you got to uh, focus on the story that's coming out of your fingertips. But when you're drawing, do you watch a movie? Do you have something no, going on? Absolutely not. Really, I can't. Um, I know people who do, but I can't. Well, one, I think it's a disservice to the movie. Uh, to, to like Maybe be something doing you've something seen else. a bunch of times? I can't do it. I, uh, I actually can't even listen to music, really, when I... Um, well, I, I can do it when I draw, but I can't do it when I write at all. But, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I can't. Like, I, I, I have to... I have to, like, be focused on what I'm doing because it's so visual. I mean, you know, a movie for me... And maybe that's because I because I come from the comic side. A movie to me is is you know visual. I mean, obviously, story and dialogue is important, but I I have to give my full attention. So even it just like bums me out not to give a movie its <laughs> due attention. And maybe that's kind of an anal nerd thing or just like no. being creative. But I don't want to like second even. And I you know I'm the guy that like I watch a movie with my wife and she'll be like, you know, run and get popcorn or, or, or like, you know, call her mom during the movie. I'll stop the movie and she'll be like, no, you don't have to. Like, yes, I do. So no, like I definitely could that not. Yeah. I definitely could not draw during a movie. What's, um, what's interesting is that uh, you said you can't draw in the movie, not because it's a disservice to your art or you'll like lose focus, but it's a disservice to the film. <laughs> yeah, that's Well, there you go. But yeah, I mean, it's it just, they're two very different things for me as far as um, you know, uh, uh, putting my focus on, and I think I'm kind of scatterbrained as it is. So, like, I, I know people who who get comfort from playing a movie, but to me, a movie is immersive, and I can't, I just can't do it. I can't. I, I can listen to music. I can listen to a podcast while I draw. Um, I can have a conversation, but I can't. I just can't do it. Yeah, hmm. interesting. 
Yeah, here's one for you because a, a lot of filmmakers and such are watching movies, getting inspirations from the comic world. Are you up to date with all the new comics that are coming out? How often are you looking at like new stories, new illustrations for uh, you know a, a new spark? Is that something that that takes place all the time? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I kind of tend to, um, and I've always been this way. Is it's really hard for me to read current comics that are sort of coming out from the mainstream. Um, unless I have to, like, I, certainly if I'm working on DCU books or Marvel Universe books, I'm reading their other books because I need to know that information. Got to be up on the stories, be up on stuff. But as far as enjoyment, it, it's really hard for me to enjoy those. Uh, it, it's hard for me to enjoy contemporary stuff that I'm basically competing with in a weird way. Um, so I do it, but it's not enjoyable. Uh, but I do read a lot of independent stuff, a lot of web stuff. Um, because I've always been really interested in, in the new stuff, like people doing new things. So um, most of the comics that I read avidly for, for enjoyment are either, um, you know, creator-owned stuff, um, non-superhero stuff, or they're like, if I can support some Kickstarters and get some sketchbooks by some underground artists, or if I can get some stuff off DeviantArt or, or Line Webtoon, I... I for enjoyment, as, as far as sparking off something um, and feeling inspired, I, I, you know, I kind of have to see this this new audience that's or, or this new uh, creative stuff that 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 is not like what I'm doing. I guess that I makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably it's probably like you know George Lucas who makes these really mainstream films, like going to see only you know trauma movies. I don't know, but like, but but my I guess for me the 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 creative. Um, energy doesn't come from the stuff that I know is done by my contemporaries who, though they may be my friends, I'm fighting them for the same jobs. <laughs> so, but I can, I can like, and, and maybe that's why, you know, I can do editor, do editing stuff and, and creative uh, uh, stuff, you know, finding talent for heavy metal because I love that part of the job and I always have, you know, I've always been like a stalker of DeviantArt and Instagram and Tumblr finding these new talents to me, like, I have to email that person and try to get them on something. Okay, you, you, you tipped the hat a little bit. I wanted to ask you about this. You, you let something drop right before we turned the mics on. You're now an editor at Heavy Metal Magazine. Yep. How did that happen? What's it entail? Um, well, so the, the guy who currently owns uh, Heavy Metal, uh, Jeff Krelitz, he and I have been, like, con buddies for years, probably 10, 15 years at this point. Um, and so he, he's been working on the magazine, and, and it's a dream job for him that he's always wanted to do. And um, he's asked me a couple times, like, what I would want to do with the magazine, and I, I'm just always kind of busy. Um, but he said, well, what, what if you came in and, you know, you were the managing editor, which means you'd have people that would do the stuff uh, that's actually hard about editing, like organizing things and generating schedules and deadlines and, and, and stuff. And all I had to do was provide vision and contact artists. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do. Um, but we worked out a thing where I can do this basically part-time. Um, you know, it's it's a, a number of hours a week that does not equal 40, so I can still write my comics and do my creator own stuff and work for DC and Marvel and do all the dumb shit that I've lined up for myself that is too much. Yeah, what do you <laughs> but, sleep? Yeah, um, not a ton. But, uh, but you know, it, I, I love this part of the, the job. I always have. When I, when I first started in comics, I started essentially as an editor. Um, I was an intern at Marvel as an editorial assistant on Spider-Man. Working with other creatives has always been one of my favorite parts of the job. So, I, you know, it was kind of something I, I felt like I'd probably come back to eventually anyway. Um, doing it with heavy metal means I can, it's, it's a constantly rotating 
crew of new creators and it's it's a mix of like uh really veteran and legendary creators and new people submitting stuff to get picked so you know it's just a constant uh basically it's a paid version of what i would have done for free which is stalking demon art and and instagram and tumblr but i get people to send it to me it's how's the magazine doing i mean i used to read it when i was a kid like all the Boris Vallejo stuff, sure, yeah. you, you know, like, so, so great. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, uh, at this point, like, it, it works because it's an institution, but also because, you know, it's the only sort of thing like it. There, there is no other anthology of, of like, a mix of, you know, uh, international and new talent and, and established uh, comic book talent. Doing things that are supposed to push the envelope. There's nothing. Nothing is like. It. I mean, no one has ever done it. So mad, kind of, I guess. But it's like a totally different genre. Like they don't. It's yeah. more satirical. They don't get into the sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And I, I, and one of the things that when I first started the the job, I asked Jeff, "What is, what is heavy metal?" And he he said it should be, you know, it's about um, pushing the envelope of what sequential art is, but it's also about pushing the envelope of what science and fantasy, science fiction and fantasy is. And that's awesome to me. That's all things I'm super interested in. Um, you know, I read the magazine too when I was a kid. It was like the thing I had to hide under my bed Same. because there was boobs and and <laughs> penis monsters in it and stuff. But I, I you know, I feel like um, even if you don't know pop culture that well, you know about heavy metal magazine. You know, the logo. Uh, you could wear the logo just because you like the band Anthrax or something. Because it, it's it's the only like branded music genre on earth with a logo that everyone on earth knows you know sure. so well and the film right the animated yeah, the movie, film and it show it's shown you know constantly when we were kids it was on showtime and cinemax and everything all the time it's yep. just been around forever um it's the first american animated uh you know movie so um yeah i think it it just it has this long and really well-respected history and yeah. you know and you know it's obviously it's tougher now because of there's there's so much competition and there's not a, a newsstand. I mean, I think, you know, the the magazine flourished in the era of people walking to the newsstand on the way to work before they grabbed the train and they picked up an issue of heavy metal and there's no newsstand now. There's, right. you know, specialty shops. But Jeff's figured out some great stuff. He um, does a lot of things with uh, heavy metal bands. So they'll team up with, um, you know, Anthrax and Megadeth. We're just doing a book with Megadeth right now. Um, we got some stories coming up with Ministry and uh, Tenacious D and all these bands. So, you know, because the the the, the 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 comic book the magazine grew so concurrently with the music genre that it it has become so associated with it. There's lots of opportunities for us to um, turn you know bands uh, music into into comic book stories and and for us to do that kind of stuff. So it's still. It's still chugging, man. It's still it's it's still really well it's recognized. Yeah. That warms my heart. Great now, to hear. For, <laughs> yeah. for the comics that I, I see that you're working on, just to name a few here, Swamp Thing. Yep. Age of X Men. Bloodshot. Bloodshot. Yep. Man, I'm just I'm ruling the, the '90s, man. I'm just killing. <laughs> <laughs> when when you take on uh, something and you've done this throughout your career that is already established and already has a fan base, uh, and then you go to these cons, are are there people sometimes upset with? Uh, Things that you've done with their characters are they they happy? Do they question you? Oh God, yes, yes, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's mostly the internet and people at conventions tend to. I mean, so if you work in this job long enough, the internet is where you go to have your your heart broken, and convention is where you go to have it built back up. So when you go to a convention, it's always people who are excited to see you, and you cannot believe that people you know 
like for just at a C2E2 weekend or something, like I cannot believe how many people came up and spent their hard-earned money on getting a drawing from me or a, or a comic signed or, you know, uh, that, they, that they worked this hard to get something because it meant something to them. And then I go home and I'm on Twitter or Facebook right. or whatever, and just people tell me I suck and they hate me and I ruined their favorite thing. I, I, I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always Ride the Movie Guy. Yeah, that's a familiar tag I see all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, you know, it's a, it's a difference between anonymity and, um, and, and personal interactions. But, like, the, you know, the job – hey, when I was a kid, I read versions of Batman I didn't enjoy and – and you know, I wasn't. There was no internet for me to go on, and certainly I never told anybody their face. But um, you know, that th- this is part of the job. I, I interpret something. Um, I hope I get the people to come with me, and I don't always nail it. Sometimes I do really well, and sometimes I do less well. I mean, I, I you know, I did a run on Green Lanterns, which I felt like I just didn't connect with those fans at all, and that was I, I just misinterpreted what the majority of the fans wanted. I know what I wanted out of it, but uh, that majority of the readers didn't didn't go with me. The ones that did really liked it, but that's the job, right? Like you just can't, you can't dwell on it and, and you sort of hope that you mix with something. Um, the, the, the staying power of the job is that you just happen to click with more things than you don't, yeah. right? Like that's the... That's and, like anything, and, yeah. like anything. And so, and, and, you know, the things that I've made that um, that are my own properties, like Hack Slash Revival or, or um, any of those things that, or Dark Red, which just came out, like, you just need a few of those co- to connect. And when they do, you're like, oh, there we go. Like, you know, that, that I, I, still, I still know how to do this. I still know how to make things that people care about. Like the book I did, Dark Red, which is a, a vampire, it's basically a vampire in Trump land is kind of the pitch. Um, and it's, you know, I, it, it was the biggest thing I've done and 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 being at C2E2 was just just shocked at how many people are coming up to me and be like wow I, I love this book and it really spoke to me and I hadn't had that in a couple of years and you just kind of wipe your hand across your brow and you just go I get a couple more years out of this shit you know <laughs> yeah um, but that's the job it's just you know chasing things that you care about and hoping that because you care about it that was enough to translate to someone else caring about it and and hopefully enough people to care about it to, to make it uh to make it worth your while. I mean, it's, it's just all creative endeavors are such a, I mean, it's a long shot and a shit show at the same time. It's a long shit is basically <laughs> what it is. <laughs> now, being a, a movie podcast, I did want to ask about the possibility or if it's coming down the line of hack slash the movie. I mean, I, I work on it every day of my goddamn life. Is And I, I've been doing this for 12, no, shit, longer than that. 14 years for the hack slash movie, four years for the rival movie. I've got, two other things in development. Um, basically, my experience with Hollywood is that you that the job is to not make things. That, that is my experience. <laughs> so um, they pay you to not make them, though. Yeah, that, that's true. That's a great job. I want that yeah. job. Not as much as they could pay me. They would pay me if they actually made it. But the, the job, partially at least, um, to me, is, is you know... <sighs> Providing ideas and IP and sort of making something. We live in this era where no one wants to make films. And I, I know so much about the underside of films now that I wish I didn't know. But, like, you know, film has kind of become this thing where the theater is for the things that are like Coca-Cola the movie. You've already heard of it. You already love it. Now there's a film, right? That's that's what the theater is for. Mm-hmm. And then now it's becoming this thing where in the Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, Amazon Prime, and that's where we can try some shit, right? Like you can get a um, little bit more experimental, right? Yeah, and and and, uh, and you can try for different audiences and stuff. So um, it, it, it's just watching the film business change in front of my eyes since 
I, even since I started in this, I have to believe that if you've been doing this for 30 or 40 years, you have to just be bleeding from your eyeballs. <laughs> like it just has to be because it's changed so much in the way that, you know, amount of money that we'll spend on a movie. And, uh, and I mean, movies are every movie is a business unto itself, right? It's a new business. You just created a corporation. You just hired a bunch of people. You're hoping that you exist and for a year and a half and you pull out a corporation that makes money. That's it, right? That's the whole thing. Um, and so like doing that from the inside, um, it hasn't ruined film for me, but it has certainly made me really open to, to you know, the reality of, of the business of film. Hmm. Um, and I, I, it's weird. It's, it's in a weird way, there's, we're in an era where there's more opportunity than ever. There are, there is Everyone's more. desperate for content. Yes. But the amount of, of, of money for those things has gone down significantly. It's spread the too amount thin. of success of those things has gone down significantly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's like the, it hasn't, it, it basically just, you know, kind of, it used to be that, that there was an amount of access and there was an opportunity if you could come up with some new way of doing things. And now it's kind of like, well, we have the way of doing things and you have to do it this way or it won't work. Um, you know, just like watching, you know, the the out of the failure of, of Hellboy this weekend, which is is to me so indicative of the way films work now. You know, and and if that had been made on Netflix or Hulu, it would be huge. You know, true. Um, you know, a great you know. example is Bright. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Traditional film critics like Rye the Movie Guy just didn't get the movie Bright, but it found its audience regardless of the fact that it got panned by the major critics. And, and, and it's, it's also it's 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 a thing that you know you you probably wouldn't go to the theater for that movie. Yeah, you know, maybe it's, not. It's not an event, but if you're sitting on your ass at home and your your home theater, it was a Netflix event. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you've got a home theater that's good enough, I mean, why, why go to the theater for something that you don't give a shit if you share it with other people? But if you just want to be entertained because it's a Tuesday night in Akron, Ohio, you know, like it's just this that we've changed the way we consume films and what films mean. And now, you know, you go see the Avengers movies because. You can't imagine a scenario where you you aren't there first to share it with everyone yeah. else. But like it's an event, yeah. like you said. But you can sit home and watch Bird Box, and who gives a shit? Because although that did you know, become the water cooler moment of the week, it right? Did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, if that movie had been theatrical, I don't think it would have been you know that much of a success. It's not something people had heard of. It's it's just really interesting to watch. And and being in comics, we're in the middle of that, right? We create things you've heard of. Aquaman and we you know we do that and we provide ideas for all these Deadpool and, and like things you'll go see it because you 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 know you share it with everybody else um, but like we're also not in this opportunity where we can make a lot of original IP that or and I even hate to call it that but we can't tell a lot of original stories that have a chance of people giving a shit about you know yeah uh, so it's interesting it's you know and everything grows together and I, I have to stay on top of it and I'm you know, I'm glad I can still, I come home, I don't watch TV uh, network. I don't, I come home every night and my wife and I watch a movie <laughs> or we go to see a movie. That's what we do at night that we don't have some plans. So I still love film and it hasn't ruined me, but I, I did, it has changed my perception of how things are made. Well, kudos to you for watching a movie every yeah. night. Yeah, every damn day. He tells yeah. it, what it what it's like, you know? <laughs> I yeah. do, I'll tell you. Um, if we were guiding the Jawheads to one particular website where they can find out everything that you've done, purchase uh, some of your comics, where do, they, where do we guide them to? Or your Twitter or something. Yeah, um, just go to uh, com. That's It has my art and it has links of the uh, to the Amazon stuff. And, and 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hackin' Tim Seeley, uh, and I'm on there all the time. So those are the two best ways to to find me. Do it, do it, Joe. Absolutely. We like to end our guest interviews with a silly cinema cue. You got something for Tim, Phil? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm actually kind of excited to ask this question because Tim, while he was while during the regular interview, uh, brought up a good point about the the I guess valley between comics and film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <clears throat> I, I guess it's not really, you get more books. Uh, <laughs> but so in honor of Stephen King month, uh, we always like to ask a Stephen King question. What Stephen King story would you be the most interested in writing and illustrating a comic adaptation of? Oh, man. I mean, there's been a few done, right? There's Dark Tower has been done and The Stand has been done. Um, man, that's that's good. Uh, yeah, man. Um, I've read a lot of his, I like his short stories a lot. So there's a lot of those I would love to do. Um, man, there's this one, actually, and there's a crime novel he did. I think it's called Funland or, um, it's a great, it's, it's actually, I, I love the book, but it, it's, it's kind of non-traditional for him. He did a kind of like pulpy, um, like a hard boiled detective. Yeah, hard, well, it's sort of, it's a, it's a guy who works the summer in the seventies at a, at a, um, like a amusement park. I can't remember. I think it's called Funland. But throw, throw it in the throw fish it, tank. Yeah. yeah. Well, he can research it I would for totally us. do that one because it's really emotional. It's really good character-based stuff. Um, but it's a ghost story. It's a really it's, – it's, it's actually it's, – I loved it. it King writing a ghost story? I know. <laughs> well, and he does it, you know, it's um, – He sneaks it in, huh? Yeah. And it, it starts out sort of, uh, you know, like the coming-of-age things that he does really well. It starts out like a Stand By Me or starts out like something like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's – uh, I think it would make a great comic. Awesome. Nice. nice. We'll look forward to that. Absolutely. Tim Seeley will be sitting in on this entire job. He has his top five MCU moments. And I'm glad we got an expert, you know, somebody that knows his comics. Yeah. And you know it because, full disclosure, I'm not the biggest fan of MCU. We all remember the the Marvel ban. Right. So I'm not going to, this isn't going to be my strongest top five list. But you come around a little bit. I have. Yeah. Which I think. come around a lot. Well, when we, I remember when we originally had this conversation, I I think the conversation was media versus genre, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, or medium, like it was the, the, you felt like, well, comics are all this, but you knew it wasn't true. They're not all superhero stuff. They're not all, Right. It just happens that it took over. The superhero shit took over. <laughs> yeah, took over right. the film. Right. The no two doubt. have become somewhat synonymous, at least in American pop culture. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Speaking of MCU, our eye for an eye, Phil. Oh, yeah. Eye for an eye this week is Avengers Endgame. After the devastating events of the Infinity War, the universe is in ruins. With the help of the remaining allies, the Avengers assemble once more in order to undo Thanos' actions and restore order to the universe. With a three-hour and one-minute runtime, it is the longest MCU film to date. It is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, the brothers who also directed Captain America movies Winter Soldier and Civil War, and also last year's Infinity War. Ryan, we throw it on over to you. I was... So on Facebook, fellow critic Don Shanahan mm-hmm. was and is still currently going through all the Marvel movies with his son. He's, he's reviewing. And he is uh, oh, got a picture of the DVD special collection, and on there would have the hashtag Road to the Endgame. And I thought, oh, my God, how painful. They have to go back and watch these movies. There's some painful I, moments, but that's I'm an enjoyable joking. trip. Come on. I, I've seen just about all of them. I think I'm missing one or two. 
wow, I could never go back, for instance, and watch Iron Man <laughs> 2 or 3. I mean, literally seems like, wow, how dreadful. That said, it's an event film like Tim talked about. I'm caught up in the moment, Matt Kay. I want to get my review. I got my day off for our special screening. I'm interested. Well, you took the day off. Congratulations. That's great. Um, so... I, I need the bell. No, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that's that's fair. I will say this though. There's a, there's a bit of trepidation, right? Because how do they how do they top the Empire Strikes Back? I'm not sure. Revent, uh, Return of the Jedi did. You know, when I was uh, six or however old I was when that movie came out, I loved it. He walks and stuff, but most adults didn't like it as much. But I didn't think that this first one was all that great. Infinity uh, uh, War. Okay, conversation over, man. Come well, on. I, I really didn't. It's, I thought it was like a, it's an a awesome long. It's, it's I, I, I thought great. it was a long buildup for the, this this film. I didn't feel that way at all, man. Mm. Liked I, it. Obviously interested, Tim. No, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited. I'll definitely be there. Um, I, I agree that there is, you know, going back and sort of looking at you said Empire Strikes Back. There is something weird about making a movie that is not a complete unit, um, but. It is a tradition in film, if, if we go back to the 30s and 40s, serials were this way. Sure. Um, films didn't need to be this complete union. We've kind of added that since then. If if the Marvel Universe is kind of this ever-evolving, long meta story that, that, that drags you in, I'm, I'm excited about the, the fact that they're going to pull this off and probably nail it. They're probably going to stick the landing. The fact that they made Infinity War so compelling... Uh, without it having an ending, in quotes, uh, it, it, that's that's impressive. I think they'll stick the landing. I hope Phil, so. Right on track here. Interested? I mean, how can you not be, right? At the end of the day, this is probably the biggest biggest movie of the past, like, 10 years, right? I, in terms I, I'd of, like, say yes. It might be the biggest movie in history. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean, if not for anything else, right, it'll be nice to... to get some release in general, you know, right? Because I feel I feel like, no, seriously, I feel like the everything that they've been doing is... You went and made it creepy, Phil. I did not. <laughs> yeah. I did not. I did not mean... Yeah. I, 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 uh, release wasn't the right word. But like... Uh, I know what you mean. Like, because it's... This is the... the They've honestly, pretty much since Iron Man 1, this has been like it's the, the culmi- plan. It's the culmination. Yeah. And so would just you to say, see... Would you say, Phil, it's the climax? No. <laughs> yes. It's not my fault that... <laughs> that I have a dirty mind. Art I'm imitates sorry. life. True. For interesteds. For Endgame. I don't know. How do you feel about the title? You okay with it? I am. Yeah. I think that it's a, it's an earned title for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I also am very excited to somewhat get this thing over with, too. <laughs> I, but, I, mean, I know it's, it's never going to be over. Yeah. I know it's never <laughs> yeah, going to end. But well, this definitely some, this, some this is this is an ending of sorts because I think a lot of the Avengers are going to be gone. And three hours. How are you going to make it with that little uh, bladder of yours, Matt? Okay. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, maybe have some sort of strategy. I don't uh, know. We'll, we'll have our, our review next week, obviously, for sure. So Absolutely. Uh, speaking of new movies, Matt. Yes. The Mustang, a violent inmate, is given the opportunity to train wild horses as a means to rehabilitation in this directorial debut. Would this prison horse movie mashup be the proverbial chocolate and peanut butter, or is it more like toothpaste and OJ? Rye and I galloped to the theater to find out. That's a dangerous animal. If you can stay in there for more than five seconds, you're in the program. Nice booze. The whole purpose is to learn how to break these wild horses. And ultimately, our rehabilitation. You ready? I stepped in. 
Allow me to get this horse out of the pen and into the paddock. The Mustang is a wonderful, poetic, beautifully minimal, and stoic movie. Its ambitions are deep, not high, and I feel like it achieved them with a grace seldom seen in a freshman offering. Maybe Robert Redford's producer credit had something to do with it. Who knows? It opens with title cards that tell us about a program in which conservationists round up hundreds of wild horses to be trained by inmates or sadly euthanized in order to control the population. This is where we meet Roman Coleman, played wonderfully by Matthias Schoenartz. And seriously, that term played wonderfully gets tossed around a lot by we critics, but this guy nails the role. As I mentioned, Roman is given this opportunity to enter the prison horse program, helmed by Bruce Stern at his grizzliest, Bruce Derniest. The violence bubbling under this inmate's tattooed skin is so obviously barely under control that it makes for some wonderfully tense moments. That even includes him getting into a fist fight with a horse. And don't, don't worry, Ryan, no horses were harmed, and actually the character loses the fight. Roman's tether to his former life is his young pregnant daughter who comes to visit him in prison. And it's only when we, the first time we meet her, she's just there to get him to sign some papers. Through the course of the film, there are some wonderfully tender moments mixed in with the realities of prison life and the realities of wild horse training. Fights with cellmates, falling from the saddle, new friends, new foes, building toward the mystery of just what landed Roman in jail in the first place. It all had me along for the ride, pun intended. Where we wind up in the end is nothing short of lyrical. Get on this horse and ride it. Yeah, I think you nailed something there, Matt, by saying this is a deep movie. But it's it's not going for something that we, we haven't seen, some grand story. No. It's, it's a very concise story. Mm-hmm. I, I think when we see where, even from the title cards, uh, we know what kind of film this is going to be. You know, it's Actually, I, I didn't from the title cards. But, I mean, probably right when you meet uh, Roman and you get the idea that he's going to start training the horse right around that time, which isn't too much more into it about... 15, 20 minutes in, you get this idea that he's going to become friendly with the horse and, and both are going to change that's, over time. That's fair. And and obviously you, you see that this is going to be some sort of redemption for the character or at least the, the pathway to redemption. And it doesn't disappoint in that regard. But there are enough twists that I didn't see coming that it kept me very interested. And for a small movie like this, I love the mountainscape scenery of the shot of the wild horses, especially this happens a, a few times throughout the movie, but especially in that opening scene where you see these wild mustangs um, running, and a helicopter actually is what is basically forcing them in a certain direction, and that's how the ranchers actually get them into a certain area. Right. It's called herding. Yeah. But by helicopter, which is interesting, I had never seen it done by loud helicopters scaring the horses certain which, ways. Which uh, actually has a, a rhyme to it later in the film. Correct. But even that scene, um, as sort of scary it is for the horses, is, is just gorgeous with the backdrop for a, a small movie like this. It had some scope. It did. Um, and then also, the simple parallel between wild horse alongside wild in, inmate. Um, it, but the film itself is intimate, and that makes it. it I, I loved it. I mean... What's really cool... To you don't need that big of a story if it's done so well. What's, yeah, I agree. And, and what's really cool, building off what you said about the, the scope of the outdoors and of the Nevada desert or wherever they are, where they show this, this landscape and the horses running free, is it really juxtaposes and makes you feel so um, 
claustrophobic when you're in the prison cell and you see like he shares this space with another man and it's it's about the size of this table that we're sitting at it's tiny and there's this little toilet with no seat and a sink and they're like that's their that's their living quarters it's, it, it makes you it, it succeeds in making you feel the confines of prison quite well well you also get that once the uh, main horse that uh, roman goes on to name marcus is actually captured there is this uh, wonderful sound design that the filmmakers use of him constantly bucking inside that little caged right, area. Right. Yeah. And you get the idea that that's very much like the prisoners inside their cell. He's in, he's in solitary confinement. Right. And he is just having, I mean, he hates it constantly making this, this loud sound. And it isn't until he's, again, out in the open until, you know, he's at peace. Mm. Another parallel there that they use. I agree. And, yeah, you're right. This... Uh, uh, how'd you say his name? Matthias? Uh, Matthias Schoenartz. Yeah, I, uh, I actually had to I, research that. Okay, he was in the movie Rust and Bone with Marianne Cotillard, and I love him in there, and I've seen him in a few other things, but this is this is his best. Oh. And you are right, he is so tense, and it's, it's darn, it's scary at, at moments. You don't know what this guy is capable of, because his fuse is so short. His fuse is short, he's in prison, right? Obviously for something violent, but we have no idea what it is. So you don't know if he's just going to fly off the handle and murder the next person he sees. It's and yet he, he is able to show us how vulnerable he is later on when he has a really deep talk with his daughter. It, we've discussed maybe doing our top five crying scenes in movies. I, this might be on the list. Boy, he breaks down in, in such a, a moment. It's, it's emotional. I agree. Yeah. Got me. Uh, best moment or something that you really like to see? Just you, what you just mentioned. Uh, I would call it the apology. He has this moment with his daughter, and, and he just breaks down. She does, too, to some degree. And you can see him trying to choke back the tears and be this tough guy from his former life, but it's, uh, it's a losing battle. Yeah, I had tears come down the, uh, the cheek at that point. Uh, other parts that I wanted to highlight was when the counselor, who was played by Connie Britton, and... It, it's so tense that she actually has like a little alarm buyer in case he flies off the handle. Yeah. So you realize that there's guards right outside just in case this guy starts to go nuts. Right. Um, pretty nuts. And then uh, also all the scenes with his, his daughter. And then, of course, you've mentioned him, Bruce Stern. How great is Bruce Stern? Bruce Stern is Bruce Stern. I don't know if he was great, but he's oh, he's just Bruce Stern. Oh, he's wonderful. When when Roman actually fights the horse, I love Bruce Stern. He's so pissed at him for hitting the horse. Yeah. It's, he's just a great character. I agree. He was a great character. Bruce uh, Stern uh, played him well. Any issues or dislikes? Yeah, I did. I had a, I had a bit of an issue with the roommate confrontation. In mm. fact, that whole plot thread never really felt right or gets tied up. It's a bit out of place. and I, I don't want to explain it too much, but... He sort of gets um, blackmailed into smuggling some of the horse tranquilizers to his cellmate. And, and this guy seems like Roman could overpower him. I agree. So at, at one point, and I won't spoil it, but let's just say there's a confrontation between the two characters and things get settled in a way that I was like, well, why didn't he just do that way earlier? Yeah. I agree. I don't understand that. Yeah, that, that part was, and, and I, I wrote down actually the simplistic storyline because they were building up to this, that the storyline with the tranquilizers. And for a while, I thought, boy, this is going to go on because this has got to get resolved somehow. But it ends rather quite abruptly. abruptly. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I, they should have even went there. I agree. Just keep it on Roman and his daughter and the horse and Didn't leave need all that, that out of Didn't it. need that. Although, I guess you need a little prison action. Maybe that kind of mm. brought it together. I don't know. Movie influences here, Matt K. I got a weird one. Leave no trace. Because of the stoicism 
of it. And the father-daughter relationship there. Yeah. There's very little dialogue in this movie, which is a, a similarity to Leave No Trace. I think Leave No Trace is by far the superior film, um, but maybe not by that far. You know, it's... I went with Lean on Pete. I don't know if you saw this horse movie from last year. And, and talking about a prison movie that's underrated, Starred Up, which came out in 2013. Huh. Independent movie, but excellent. Mash those two together and you have, you have what we got here. Uh, how about something you learned, Matt Kay? Uh, seems relatively easy to train a wild horse. Just get in there with a stick, get him to walk around a few times, and soon you'll be in the saddle. Well, I'm going to go with the obvious, and that is about uh, WHIP is what it's what it's called, Wild Horse Inmate Program. Did you know this was a thing? I had no idea. And obviously, That's this is true. what the whole film is about. And I went and I researched it. Five states currently, right? Currently, to currently, this day. Uh, still are involved in the program, and the results that they're having of inmates actually, you know, having some reform right. and, and coming around because they're now attached to a horse. What's it, what's it called? Recidivism, right? It's, when when they reoffend, it's, it's it's way it's, down. It's way down. So I mean, the program works, and it only makes sense because, you know. Uh, Horses have a way to, you know, touch your soul. Right. Well, regard. I, I think what it is is it's about caring about something outside of yourself, which hopefully helps people understand. Everybody loves horses is what I learned. Uh -huh, Matt, uh, uh -huh. how about a movie poster quote? Saddle up for the Mustang. I went with save lives, train horses. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Yeah. I like it. I enjoyed both those. Yeah. <laughs> How many jaws, Matt Kay? I'm giving this one three and a half jaws. I'm right Maybe with it's because we haven't gotten this quiet indie movie yet this year, and here it is finally. So I was, I, I was kind of waiting for this movie. And like I mentioned, it's not as good as, as Leave No Trace, which came out about this time last year. But damn it if I didn't like the Mustang. I did too. Three and a half jaws for me as well. Mustang is currently playing nationwide, so check it out. And if you have seen it, you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at Cinemajaw, or you can always email us your thoughts, feedback at Cinemajaw.com. No superheroes in this movie. Huh. Right? Right. No, Bruce, no. Bruce Stern counts, I, right? I, I, there were no after-credit <laughs> scenes. The credits were beautiful because it actually does show the real, real life, inmates yeah. with the horses, which was pretty cool. But there's you know, no uh, Stan Lee cameo. It's missing a lot of things that we're about to tie into our top five MCUs. Who's, who's getting us started this week, Oh, uh, For sure, Tim Seeley's getting us started. Um, and, and really quick, Tim, on the MCU universe, I want to get this out in the open. Matt, obviously, he, he always talks about how it's, what, what's the line you use? The greatest cinematic. I say unparalleled project in film. We've, we've never seen anything of its like. That's true. I, I mean, since the Universal Monster movies, right? Yeah. The Universal Monster movies are the closest you got, where you had, you know, all the main characters, and they crossed over, and they met Abbott and Costello, and they went until the sons of all that. But since then, there's been nothing like it with one giant meta story. I mean, it's, it's really the only thing like it since the Universal Monsters. Right, and they're trying to reboot that and everything yeah, else. Yeah, it's just not working. But, mm. uh, all right, yeah. Tim, you're getting us started with number five. <laughs> all right, I'm going to go with, it's not my favorite uh, Marvel movie by line shot, but uh, the Iron Man rescue scene in Iron Man 3. Uh, where you get to see Tony finally kind of do something super heroic. Uh, a lot of the Iron Man movies have been Iron Man uh, fighting dudes that pissed him off. Uh, but this is him saving a bunch of people. They drop out of the airplane. He has to figure out a way to get all these people to the ground safely. I love that scene. That is yeah, a, it's a great a scene. Black. I forgot about it, but that is a really it's good scene. It's a good scene. scene. It's a Shane Black directed movie, which 
I was bummed that I didn't like it as as much as I thought I should have. But that scene is great. It's innovative. It's funny because he calls it the Barrel of Monkeys. You know, like he, he so it's Shane Black doing what Shane Black do. It's not set at Christmas, but other than that, it's like this really uh, innovative. And but it's also a heroic moment. He saves a bunch of people's lives. Um, for me, superheroes, that's what they should be doing. And it's one of those great moments. I like it. Uh, that brings it to me at number five. I have Piss Off Ghost when Thor meets Korg in Thor Ragnarok. Pretty much <laughs> all of their interactions are great. It, yeah. it, it's, it's the director, Taika Waititi. He's doing uh, the voice. Yeah. Voicing Korg. And, and he's the best. He's the best. He talks about is, the revolution, but I didn't print up enough pamphlets. And but it's so funny, too, because that character is com- from the comic. Sure. Uh, written by a buddy of mine. But he made him, like, Korg is a pretty serious guy. And then they do the movie, and then he speaks. And he's got Taika Waititi's voice. And so it's, it's hilarious. Like, you couldn't, it's just a casting. It's a casting moment. It like, is. Make him Taika Waititi. It's hilarious. Yeah, that's all you need, yeah. turns out. That's yeah. all you need. But piss off Ghost, when, th- when Loki walks through the wall, that's that's the best yeah all right mine again maybe a little pedestrian here hopefully you guys like these picks my number five comes from the original thor movie that that was just titled thor right didn't have a uh yep okay so just the just thor and this is conventional it's sort of thor when he's in the coffee shop and he's down at earth and he's still acting like the god that he is and the particular scene is they're eating uh breakfast and he gets done drinking the coffee uh, and he's like, it's a drink I, I really like. And then he slams down the glass like he would a beer. A beer. <laughs> and he's like, I'll take another. And they're like, well, just ask. And he's like, that's what I did. <laughs> and then shortly right after that, he, he goes across the way to uh, the pet store. And he's like, I need a horse. <laughs> so all of that uh, funny business of Thor actually being... The fish uh, out of the water. Right. Yeah. I loved that. I was laughing very, very hard. It's his crocodile and it seems like they And they leaned on that the later versions of Thor is that Thor is kind of an idiot. Like, he's great when he's a hero, but it's actually funnier when he's kind of an asshole. Like, he's a, he's a well-meaning asshole. Like, that's... We, by the time Ragnarok comes around, he's just a movie of well-meaning asshole, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, my number four, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy escape scene. Uh, because it's kind of... It's, it's where you see all these really disparate characters that, you know... You know them as kind of scoundrels, and 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 that you can't possibly imagine that. We t- we're talking about the prison escape. Yep, the prison okay. escape scene. Uh, it's it starts basically with uh, Rocket Raccoon explaining that he needs all these things, and he tells <laughs> oh, he tells Peter he needs the guy's leg. And in the background, meanwhile, while they're doing this, Groot is throwing things, and he hits a guy in the head, and it's just Groot t- turns the power, and then they have to do it because it's now the power's out. Right, they have um, to go immediately. But it's it's a hilarious scene. It's a great action scene. But it also, um, it, it's easy to sort of forget that Guardians of the Galaxy, when it came out, um, kind of broke a little bit of the mold of the Marvel movies because uh, these people were sort of irredeemable. They were just kind of the worst, um, and they kind of came together. But it has this very James Gunn feel. It's, it's kind of edgy. Um, it's a little bit dangerous. And then, you know, at the end of the scene, Peter is the joke, right? He, he, try, he just pays this guy. Uh, to get his leg. Everybody else does this badass action shit. And then at the end of the scene, Peter's like, well, I, I got have the to go. leg. He gets the leg, but he has to go get the thing that's actually important to him, which is the Walkman. Mm. So he goes back in with the gem and uses his weapon. And that's the only reason they stick around is because he's took it. But he goes to get his headphones. And it's, it's a defining, it's a great character moment. The stakes are high for everybody, but he cares about uh, 
being able to listen to uh, Jimmy Buffett. And it, it ends with this Jimmy Buffett song. It's a great, it's such a great scene. I love it. But that was his connection to his mom. So it's absolutely, not to- it's very personal. They turn, you know, of James Gunn's affection for 70s, uh, easy, easy listening to, to, into something really human and personal. Yeah. And not to mention humorous. All right. Uh, swings it around to me at number four. In all honesty, I also had Guardians of the Galaxy, but foreshadowing, I think it might be on someone else's list later on. So I'm going to sub one out here, and I'll go with uh, uh, Avengers. I think this moment was in Age of Ultron. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's the love story between Hulk yeah. and Black Widow when she says it's get the sun's, sun's getting, getting low, big yeah. guy. Yeah, I just <laughs> I love that that she could she could talk down the Hulk. You know that that she actually kind of had the chutzpah. To, to like approach the Hulk when he's kind of raging out and and just put her hand out and, and calm him down. It's a cool moment. One of the better moments from that movie. Yeah, it's not a great movie, but there's some great character moments in it. Yeah. yeah. My number four might not be... It is from the MCU, but uh, it wasn't as big of a movie involved with the main storyline, but it comes from us from Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh-oh. And this is when uh, Peter Parker meets her parents on the way to the prom. The door opens and everything clicks that her parent, uh, her, her dad is, uh, you know, obviously played by Michael Keaton. What's the character's name? The Vulture. The, the Vulture. Vulture. And that entire car ride, I mean, really the, the entire scene. <sighs> that from, was my three. Yeah. That's my three. <laughs> that that entire great. scene. And I, I think for me, not being the biggest Marvel fan and, and you know, hyped up on these movies as much, I, I think they need more of these moments with the two characters of the tension and... Get rid of all the CGI sometimes. I love that moment between Michael Keaton and this young kid who plays Peter Parker. Love it. My favorite scene. So that's my number three. And the reason I love that scene um, is, is a lot of what you said. But it's also the most Spider-Man scene in maybe all of the movies uh, that they've done about Spider-Man. Because the Spider-Man balance was always about a, a kid has to balance his life as as. Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and it's completely shown there in every possible way. The, the conflict is that he's got this girl that he he wants to impress. Uh, the father, um, he, you know, he, obviously they have issues, but the whole thing is that he saved his life, right? He says, you know, you saved my life, you saved my daughter's life, I'm going to give you that one. And then he ends that scene by saying, I just saved your life, so now we're done. Like, it's this really veiled threat, it's great. Uh, it's the conflict of Peter Parker, the 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 teenager and the superhero, the the self interest of a teenager versus the interest of others of the superhero. It's it's a perfect scene. It's my number three. I totally agree with you. Yeah, there we go. No, no arguments Got here, Tim guys. Got Tim Seeley on my side. <laughs> All right, I am going to dip my pen back into the Guardians well for number three. Uh, sort of the redemption of Yondu and the moment I think it all comes crystal clear. It really. Gels. Yeah, he, he's the blue guy. He's the yeah. blue guy, yes. Um, is when he is floating down on his, his arrow and he, he and Star-Lord are having this, this moment. Star-Lord finally realizes that really Yondu is his father. And, uh, but then he realizes how ridiculous he looks floating down on this arrow. And he's like, you look like Mary Poppins. And he goes, is he cool? Yeah, he's cool. <laughs> I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> Sometimes I just shout that out for no reason when I'm walking around. Love that scene. It's it's also that that scene is also really Marvel in that uh, a thing that, that they always did in the old Marvel comics was that a lot of times the worst people still had humanity. They still had heart, 
you know, and like Hawkeye started out as a villain, and um, Wolverine too. Wolverine started. They, 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 these these bad guys would would show you their heart, and that's a great Marvel moment. My number three comes to us from a movie that actually helped end uh, what you had mentioned earlier. Matt was my Marvel ban. This is when I was trying to say. Uh, get people to watch small films and banning don't, these Marvel don't, films. Don't try to justify your ignorance. And then, <laughs> and then Marvel went ahead and cast Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. And That's I what did I had, it? I knew I had to see my Paul Rudd in Ant-Man. And there's a lot of great moments in there, but... Um, I, I love the the suitcase fight yes, scene. Yes. Where everything obviously they're they're in the miniature uh, stage and so everything inside this briefcase it, it is is rolling at them and it's like giant life uh, lifesavers and all the scraps that would be in there and at one point um, the hornet is that the the name of the yellow bad guy? jacket yellow jacket mm-hmm. hit hits Siri and the cure and the cure comes right. on I will annihilate you playing annihilation by the cure yeah. I love it and just the creativeness of of having these people inside the briefcase, which then goes, you know, outside of this helicopter plane thing and falls like in the water, and Paul Rudd comes back, or the Hornet comes back full size. It's great, creative, big fan. Both Ant Man. I'm really glad you. Really so, among a certain kind of fan, Ant Man are their least favorite, but I think the Ant Man movies are the most welcome, sort of breath of fresh air of the Marvel movies. They're 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 heist movies ostensibly. At least they're, the first one, yeah. And they're they're light and they're charming and uh, kids love them. It's easier to show that movie to a kid than it is some of the other ones. Even Avengers, the first one, I'm saying. Yeah. That I mean, as cool as it is to see Thor and and Captain America slugging it out in the Hulk. Uh, it's kind of a heavy movie, right? Yeah, like the Battle whereas, of New York. Iron, whereas, yeah, Ant-Man is like an intro Marvel movie, I think. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Maybe this um, is why I like it so much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number two for me, I picked um, the Iron Man and Cap fight in Civil War over Bucky. Um, oh, it's it's yeah. so emotional. They built a lot of this up. It, but it's also really heartbreaking because the reason that they like each other is the reason that they're fighting. Um, you know, because Cap's loyalty is what makes him fight Iron Man, and Iron Man's drive and direction and and the things that sort of Cap leans on him for is the reason that he can't let this this revenge go. That that this was all about his legacy and about his parents. Uh, it, it's great, and it and it's a, it's a brutal fight. Um, it ends with uh, you know a callback to to Captain America: First Avenger when. Um, Iron Man is kicking the shit out of him, and then he says, Cap, stand down, it's over, and Cap stands up and says, I can do this all day. And it's a great goddamn callback. Uh, it's emotional, and it ends with, um, you know, this, this... We don't really know who's the good guy. You get to choose. I, I think that's... It's also a Marvel thing. You know, people disagree. Um, they're heroes, they're fallible, but they, they choose things because it's their moral core, and you, you're left with uh, a reason to cheer, cheer for either. I think it's a great scene. I agree. No arguments whatsoever. Uh, and number two, here's a pedestrian pick. But, man, this is such a great moment. I love it. I sometimes just put this up on YouTube for the hell of it. Uh, when Hulk smashes Loki. Uh, the, it's, it's one of the most... Puny God. It's yeah. one of the greatest scenes in any movie, I in think. any yeah. movie. <laughs> well, certainly one of the most satisfying comeuppance scenes. Yeah. Maybe ever. I mean, really, because you expect the villain to get his monologue out. Like, I did not see that coming. Now it feels so obvious. Like, of course, Hulk is just going to grab him. 
but at that time it was it was kind of a surprise and just so satisfying to watch him smash him on like he's holding him by his yeah. limbs and just bashing him on he the just ground goes back and forth and back and forth it's just the timing is comedic time it's Joss Whedon at his Joss Whedonist yeah uh, with some amazing comic timing yeah and I, I think that may have been the moment that made us all really fall in love with the Avengers I might agree with the, you. The, the film Avengers. All right. My number two comes to us from the first MCU movie, the first Iron Man. And this is what I called the first Iron Man suit when he is in that cave with the terrorists outside of it. The Mark One. And I don't know what that is, but he, <laughs> he makes this suit out of uh, all kinds of scraps and he ends up coming out, and it's, it's just this crude Iron Man-looking suit. And, you know, it, it still shoots some fire, and it has some funny because he can fly a little bit, and he ends up crashing and whatnot. But it was the first start of this whole thing that he was going to create this Iron Man suit that was going to, hence, launch the whole entire thing. Yeah. I rewatched the scene. It's pretty, it's pretty good. I remember being, like, psyched for it because I really didn't know who Iron Man was up until seeing this movie. I don't know if I had even heard of him. Wow. Fuck. Well, I mean, I, you know, I grew up on Iron Man. It's so weird to me to think that, like, Iron Man is this entry point for so many people because when I was a kid, my favorite three superheroes were Iron Man, Cap, and, uh, and Thor. That was my three favorite. you got to admit, though, that that's pretty rare. We're all about the same age. And, and I would say, like, when I was growing up, growing up, a kid, I wasn't that familiar with Iron Man. It wasn't until later, like, the Brian Michael Bendis stuff. Really? Yeah. God, because he was uh, that, yeah. I don't know. It's weird to me because, like, I just, to me, it was like Bob Layton and fucking John Romita Jr. and John Byrne and, and, like, all these great creators on Iron Man, which, you know, I mean, there were only three kids in my fucking town that read comics and we all liked Iron Man. So I have a terrible, uh, tr I don't know to me. It just seems like, well, we all read Iron Man. Like, he was the cool Avenger. But, like, yeah, most kids. If they read comics, were into Wolverine, and they were Spidey. into Spidey, and they were into maybe Venom, or like the the you know. By the '90s, I might have been more familiar with him, but the late '90s, I'm like I'm saying, like Avengers Disassembled is when I really started getting into really? Avengers. Really, Jesus, I'm so fucking old. And wow. that was I mean, the 2000s, dude. <laughs> so I mean, I was yeah. my first the first Iron Man issue I ever got was 1983, so I six years old. Wow, yeah, Iron Man. yeah, awesome. That was my number two, uh, Iron Man's first suit. So here okay. we are, number ones. Tim, what do you got sitting there? Your All favorite right. MCU moment thus it, far. It's easy. Um, it's the moment in Avengers, the first one. Uh, it basically starts with uh, with Cap, and, and he's talking to Bruce Banner. He's a Dr. Manor. You know, we can, we can do in this big fucking space well. comes flying down. He says, my secret is I'm always angry. Yeah. He punches it out. They all assemble for the first time. There's a swing around shot. I get goosebumps even thinking about it. There's a swing around shot. We see them all together for the first time. They're prepared to do some damage. They're the Avengers. It's historic. All these movie characters came together. The Thunder God guy who shouldn't really be sitting next to the tech giant armored guy next to the Patriot fucking from World War II next to the Russian spy next to the... Uh, circus uh, CIA archer, but here they are together, and they're gonna kick some ass. It's a great moment. I get, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, me too, man. No, no arguments here. Can't go with the goosebumps. I wish I could join you on that, but I know this shot. I know it's, I know how That's good it so, is. So, it's so iconic at this point. Uh, my number one. It, it might seem uh, anticlimactic after that, but I, this is just my, a personal thing. It's the underoos scene. When he says, under ruse, and Spider-Man first swings in in 
oh, Avengers the big fight. Civil War. Yeah. And, and maybe not so much even the fight. The fight is amazing. I love the fight. But just to see Spidey steal Cap's shield and land on the... Yeah. Like, that moment was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. The goggles, how his eyes actually opened and closed. I'm like, finally, you know, they got Spider-Man right. After all these years, like, these people get it. There's yeah. no organic web shooters. All the little things that bothered me about all the other Spider-Man movies, gone. Like, finally, we have the real Peter Parker in a scene on the big screen. I have no issue with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man one Yeah, they're good units. Yeah. But you know what's a great, that very fight scene, the other thing that's fucking great about it is there's the scene where Cap and Spider-Man are fighting and, and Spider-Man is just like, I can't believe I'm fighting Captain America. And they have this conversation about New York. Yeah. He says, I'm from Queens. I'm from Brooklyn. Like, it's so, that is so Marvel. The whole Marvel thing, they were they were New York. They chose to not set their things in Gotham or Metropolis. They chose to set it in, in New York City. And that meant that their characters had boroughs and neighborhoods. And that is so beautifully Marvel. I love that part. I do, so too. Good. Yeah. All right, my number one, and it is the best scene so far in the Marvel Universe, so I'm glad I get to say it. I, I've said before, I'm a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. It yeah. would be my, my favorite film. And so the most emotional, that I couldn't believe that I was actually emotional about some tree character um, protecting all of his other mates at this point, but it is uh, Groot's sacrifice when uh, he grows all his limbs, trees around um, the rest of, of the Guardians, and they all <laughs> say, he says, we are Groot. And uh, of course they crash, and you know, he, he basically he dies. perishes. But he saves the entire group because of, of the powers of Groot. And at that point, you don't know that Groot's going to come back. We have no idea. So it was terribly sad and that uh, Raccoon is uh, broken up. He can't believe that he sacrificed. Well, is, is the the new, whole thing is it, it's, it's really nice. It's touching. I agree. Is the new Groot Groot? You know, is it the same Groot? You don't know. Well, I mean, and, and to me, the one of the most amazing things about the, in Marvel movies, I'm glad you brought that about Guardians of the Galaxy is, I knew Groot and I knew Rocket Raccoon since I was a kid, but um, watching that movie with my mom, right? She's a nice 64-year-old woman from Wisconsin. And for her to get emotional about a Rocket Raccoon and a <laughs> tree monster that just, <laughs> is just like that's how the talent of these creations are because they made these things work for everyone. You know, like I couldn't have passed... I, I think I distinctly remember explaining to my mom when I was like 10 years old, I was really upset because Captain Mary got replaced by a U.S. agent. And I was like trying to explain to her, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But she she went along with it. But for me to share that moment of Groot dying, the, you know, the... It's validating. <laughs> the monster from Planet X, you know, whatever, <laughs> like that... No, it, it, it's not as validating. It's just sort of like it speaks to the universality of these things that... Um, that, that, that they're so pure and so uh, creative that they can translate to, to so many other things. And maybe people don't want to engage in the medium of comic books to their loss, but they at least the stories are, are relevant. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I'm right with your mom on this. I never heard of the Guardians. I remember, in fact, Matt showing me the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy, and my reaction was like, this just looks ridiculous. You know, like sure. this talking raccoon, this green lady. I'm never going to see this movie, Matt. And it turned out to be my favorite MCU movie. See, Ryan. So, I'm yeah. capable of. Uh, quick honorable mentions before we go to break. I had Captain America's, uh, I got Bucky, is that his name? Bucky, the, yeah. The, yeah. Winter Soldier, yeah. Yeah. The ending fight, I thought that was really well done. Um, and then just recently, Captain Marvel, uh, only human scene 
or you're just human or whatever it is. Well, the whole thing the where you, you get knocked down and knocked you come back. And yeah, come back. yeah, really Love great. Yeah, it's a great moment. And then Star-Lord's introduction in oh, yes. in Guardians. The first time we see him trying to steal... His Indiana Jones moment. His Indiana Jones scene, yeah. yeah. I, that's what hooked me to the movie. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be like an adventure, adventure, space adventure. I'm in. Yeah. I had the the other one I, I really struggled not to pick was actually um I don't love Guardians Two as much as I like one, but the opening scene where they do the um the Mr. Brightside, the or, yeah. Yeah, and they have the or what was I'm, it's I'm not Mr. Brightside. Sorry, Mr. Um Blue you know, Sky. Rubber band Mr. Man. Blue, Blue Sky, Sky, I'm sorry. No, it's Mr. Blue Sky, sorry. And they do the whole thing where they're gonna capture this de- monster demon and they, they're waiting for him and then they just do this like uh one shot thing where you know, like they go around, yeah, yeah, 360, and they it's just, it's Groot it's dancing, Groot, baby Groot. Right, yeah. right, but they do, the, it's really a beautifully shot scene, and it's emotional and evocative, and it, it re- reminds you why you like these characters. Now they're a team, but they're still constantly bickering, and uh, yeah, that's an amazing scene. Good I stuff. agree. Uh, w- one honorable for me, I mean, I could go on all day, so I kept myself to one, and it is the moment when... Thanos meets young Gamora. She's a child, uh, and he is basically um, decimating her population. Like, all of her people, including her parents, are being killed by his uh, children or his minions. But he has this, like, somewhat tender moment with her where he's showing her the knife and having her balance it on her finger and having her turn away from the violence. And I I honestly think it gave Thanos... A bit of heart, like that. Oh that no, he would, absolutely. That he would care for this child. Like, well, you have to think that Thanos might be right, right? That has to be. That we might, to some degree, like. Well, I, I think you. The way you went about this is wrong, but we. I get what you do. Right. You. He cares. So right? like a killmonger. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because in the original story, uh, Thanos does it out of love, right? It, it. It doesn't work quite as well in the movie, but his original thing was he was. The only thing he loved was death, right? That the only thing he loved, the spirit of, of death. And he did this all to, to impress her because he had nothing else. And this works in the same way, right? I think he it works tr- better. It works a little better um, in hindsight. But it, like, it, it's a, he's a tragic character, right? Like he doesn't have anything. And all he has is this sort of belief that, that he can make things better by hurting people, you know? Yeah. All right, if we missed your favorite moment from the MCU and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a break, and when we come back, Matt is taking Tim on in game movie trivia, plus a cinema war looking at horses and jails, of all things. (laughs) Stick with us. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the Hey, Phil. How's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, man. I'm enjoying Stephen King Month, and uh, actually in honor of uh, Stephen King Month, I, I thought of something kind of fun for us to do together, sort of like a, a bonding experience. Lay it on me. I love it. All right. Uh, well, do you want to go see a dead body? A, a dead body? Yeah, a dead body. You know, that's the thing. Like, guys go, and they have an adventure, and, and what would you do other than go and see a dead body? Play Atari? No, no, no. This is going to be fun, man. Come on. Let's walk down these train tracks. I know where it is. It's in the woods. Just follow me. And when we get to the end, there's probably going to be some bullies with knives, just like in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know which one you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Stand by me, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that would be the perfect clip to play for this week's Stephen King clip. I could not agree with you more, Matt. Play it. You're going to have to kill me, Ace. No problem. 
not taking him. Nobody's taking him. Come on, kid, just give me the gun before you take your foot off. You ain't got the sack to shoot a woodchuck. Luis. I'll kill you, I swear to God. Come on, Lachance, give me the gun. You must have at least some of your brother's good sense. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. What are you gonna do, shoot us all? No ways. Just you. Lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt Kay with a quick reminder of this month's riddle. Here we go. My sister? Yeah. Where is she now? Most of you first got to know me as a kid when I made a movie with my friends. Luckily, it wasn't a train wreck. If you see me at a party, come and talk to me. I will tell you what it was like to work with Coppola two different times. Later, I became a model and then a young horror writer. Nothing bad can happen because watching over me is none other than Angelina Jolie. Who am I? Write us at feedback at cinemajaw.com with your answer and one lucky jawhead will win a prize pack or the chance to take me on in trivia on an episode of Cinema Jaw. Good luck. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we are back on Cinema Jaw hanging out with Tim Seeley. And one thing I did want to ask you, Tim, was two C2E2s ago, we just happened to walk in, taking a break into a, a podcast room that they were having at C2E2, and it was called Your Stories? Is that it, the name that was, of the podcast? It was one C2E2 ago. Not this last one. Yes, that's what it was called. A year ago, yeah. And you told this hilarious story of how you went out at a, a, a party. Yeah, and, Larry Hama. Uh, yeah, who is? Creator of G.I. Joe and uh, writer of Wolverine and uh, creator of Wolverine. Yeah. And, and you end up getting sick and throwing up. The night drunk. that you meet him. I mean, drunk, and, yeah. And, and this could have been like a, a huge career moment for you. And and at, at, a, at a moment, it could have also been... Ruined my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it ended up great because they're all like East Coasters. So like, you know, next time I saw them, they're like, Sealy, you maniac, you know? Like, <laughs> and so like, I skirted like what could have been an a absolute life-destroying moment by just meeting a bunch of people who... In creative circles, being a drunk and doing hilarious, stupid things is actually a bonus. It's but, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> of all the creative uh, endeavors that you've had where you've worked on all these you know, uh, projects, which one were you the biggest fan of as a kid that you in turn got to? He-Man. Right. He-Man, He-Man for sure? Jesus Christ, yes. I mean, You're I'm wearing really a He-Man shirt today. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm actually, wearing, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually wearing a He-Man shirt, yeah. No, by, by a, a million miles. Um, I guess the second closest thing would be, you know, Batman or something uh, or Superman. Um, but yeah, no, He-Man by by so much. And I, and I had that toy by the way. That is the Evil Horde slime, slime pit. pit. Yeah, I have a yes. slime pit T-shirt. I had the slime pit. I remember the slime pit. I think yeah. every that was a big seller for it was that. A big slime. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Every kid wanted to drop slime on their. Uh, uh, again, if the Jawheads want to follow you on Twitter, your handle is Hacking Tim Seeley. I'm easy to find. Just put Tim Seeley comics into into the internet. You'll find me. I'm very easy to find. There we go. True. Uh, Matt, before we get to 
trivia. And before we get to Cinema War, we did throw a few items into the fish tank, and I know Phil wants to swim up to the top. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment! It's fish! Isn't it? DC! Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. It means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. We're gonna need a bigger boat. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me out this week. Uh, I'm gonna start with our first question, uh, which was, "When did The Shining come out?" That was May 23rd, 1980. What? So 19 later than I thought, too. Honestly. <laughs> Man said the 60s. Whoa. I mean, it, I was thinking 70s, but late 60s, early 70s. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is the, uh, out of all the Stephen King movies that were on our poll, it is the oldest of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the next one being Stand By Me in 86. But, uh, seem, yeah. They seem worlds apart. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. I, I'm surprised, too, honestly. I, I'm, it, it looks, I mean, it's 80s is still the 70s, though. Yeah, like in a weird way. Right? I agree. Right. The 80s, 80s didn't start until 82, right? Like that's Maybe even 83. Thing. There yeah. was no yeah. jock in this one. Yeah, right. for sure. <clears throat> yeah. No nerd. No nerds, yeah. <laughs> Then the second one, what was the name of the Stephen King story that Tim uh, thought would make a great comic? I believe that the, the title of that is simply called Joyland. Joyland, thank you. Uh, don't thank me. Thank Corbin the intern because he literally did all the research on that one. I was going down the absolute wrong rabbit hole. Joyland. Thank you, That's Corbin. Joyland. Thank Corbin. Great story. Thanks, uh, Corbin. Well, well uh, I, I bring Corbin up. One of the things that's very important to both him and I, but he, he wanted to make sure I, I ask you guys about it. You guys are developing a little relationship in yeah. there in the fish tank. Huh? Yeah, well, I mean, it's mostly because I get overly attached because nothing comes in here other than garbage. So... <laughs> And Corbin. I'm not calling Corbin garbage, well, yeah. so nobody say that I did. <laughs> kind of sounded like it. I'm not. <laughs> What's the question? It also yourself? sounded like I said release in a weird way, you jerk. Um, <laughs> the, but yeah, the question was how we feel about Than Anus. <laughs> I don't remember that being As a question. Called. No, that's the theory. The fan theory is called Than Anus. Were we talking about that on mic? Yes. No, oh, okay. no, no. no. Oh. This, <laughs> Corbin and I were talking about it off the mic. Well, Jesus. All right. Since you brought it up, explain what it is. and, and um, It's just the theory that and, I'm sure every Ry the movie guy probably doesn't know. No, clearly. It's the internet theory that in, in Endgame, Ant-Man will defeat Thanos by going up his butt. And then expanding, not just going yeah, up his butt, yes, yes. then expanding yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> while in his asshole into man size. <laughs> Yeah, it's a horrible. I'd love to see this done. This would be hilarious. Yeah, but you're getting older. It's definitely not happening. (laughs) It will not happen. That is a terrible, terrible Mark Millar kind of idea. Do not do that. That will not happen. I agree. It's there not could good. be like a, a, a. I would love the the Bizarro universe where like Grindhouse made the MCU, yeah. and this was a real thing, though. Well, it's called the internet. Some fanfic film is out there that has done this or will do it. Yeah, but. Something tells me that the fanfic version is going to take this in a direction that I don't want to watch well, it. <sighs> so where this comes from is, I, I, I assume, is way back in like 8045, there was a cover. It was Avengers Spotlight. Hawkeye beats a bad guy. It, it was exemplified by the cover where Ant-Man was on the end of an arrow. He shot the arrow into the bad guy. I think it might have been Ultron. I can't remember exactly. It And then Ant-Man expanded after so it was like one inside him right right right. well and then wasp in ultimates wasp goes inside folks a hulk's ear while he's having a rampage and defeats him that way right shoots a bunch of stings into his inner eardrum so yes Mm. so it's has precedent yes yeah 
but they, not, they're just not going to go. The there. pathos of they worked on to to do that. I mean, well, I don't know. Nick Fury's eye scratch came from a cat, so I don't know. Maybe that was a little disappointing, wasn't it? <laughs> no, not at all. Because anything would have been disappointing. The fact that it was from a cat makes it hilarious. By the way, in the Ultimate Universe, it was from Wolverine that lost his eye. So, mm. so I think it's more funny that it came from a cat. Personally, I'll take mm. it. I like it better. True story. The only way we're going to have this much comic talk on, on one cinema jaw was if Matt let me talk about horse movies on the same episode. And it just so happens we somehow mix this all together. <laughs> yeah, that or space, right? Yeah. Was that everything in the fish tank? That's all we got. All right, jump back in there. Can do. All right, Matt, it brings us to a segment called... Cinema War. The war, it works like this. Me and Matt, we're fighting on a topic. Our guest, Tim Seeley, is playing judge and jury and telling the jawheads at home who he thinks won this cinema war. Phil, horses, prisons, what do we got going on here? In honor of the Mustang, this week we ask a very simple question. Which is better, a horse movie or a prison movie? Rye, obviously, you've got horse movies. Matt, you're going to be fighting for prison films. Let's open up the cell bars and open up the gates to this cinema war. What makes a better subject for a movie? Come on. A, cr a criminal doing time in a 10 by 10 square cell or exploring the beautiful bond between humans, usually lost soul individual types, and horses who connect with people on an emotional level that is second to none. You have to go with our galloping friends here, Matt. Ryan, I know you're hot to trot over horse movies for some reason, <laughs> but like it or not, prison movies are just better. In fact, one of the greatest movies of all time, The Shawshank Redemption, made that achievement with nary a saddle in it. What did we have, though? A prison. Horse movie. Okay, that's what you're saying. All that means is it's a, it has a horse in it, and that's probably about 50% no. of movies ever you made, can't count, right? You can't count westerns as a horse movie. That's a horse movie. No. A horse movie is so many things. It's a comedy, like The Three Amigos. That's a horse movie. No. A war drama, like War Horse. A period drama, like Seabiscuit. Or a flat-out masterpiece, like Richard Dreyfuss's Let It Ride. Every genre of film has its own horse movie. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> You're a horse's ass. You've said it yourself. You said this. Ready? I'm quoting Rye the Movie Guy. Viggo Mortensen's nude fight scene in Eastern Promises, a prison movie, is one of the <laughs> best scenes of all time. I could take it away with that alone. But I'll throw in the Green Mile since not a it's a prison movie. It's Stephen King month. Not a prison movie. Hey, that's a prison Eastern scene. Pro okay, listen. Hey, to this. you're counting the no, Three Amigos it's as a, a horse Turkish movie. Bath scene, a Turkish bath scene. All right. On a serious note, just recently, a jawhead on Twitter, Octavio was his name, uh, sent me a link to an article by Slate Magazine. I kid you not. About five days ago, it was entitled "We Are Living in the Golden Age of Art House Horse Movies." <laughs> That may be true. <laughs> Not a joke. <laughs> Not a joke. The uh. article mentions these horse movies as stories of masculinity and the myth of the American West. Simply put, calling a film a horse movie is not doing it justice. Taking a deep look into a relationship between <laughs> man and horse <laughs> is a way to open up further discussion about various subtext. Whoa. I don't know what various subtext you're going for. Listen. We all knew her. Perhaps, maybe we had a relationship with her. Horse girl. Creepy figurines staring blankly with those big 
black soulless eyes from every shelf in her room. I am forever scarred. Horses freak me out apparently more than prison. <laughs> All right. Every jail movie has a shot of the cell door closing in front of a prisoner. Every horse movie has a shot of a beautiful animal galloping in a sprawling landscape. Which would you rather see, Matt Kay? While I'm at it, a few more memorable horse moments. Secretariat winning the Triple Crown by 31 lengths. Seabiscuit pulling away from War Admiral in a one-on-one -on -one race. Blazing Saddles, a guy knocking out a horse with a punch. Richard Gere falling in love with a horse in Pretty Woman. <laughs> Oh, no. I, no. Kevin Costner's suicide horse ride in Dances with Wolves, they are far more important to film than prisons are. I mean, <laughs> horses, horses have been in a lot of good movies, but those weren't horse movies. Prisons are exciting. Horses are boring. Fights, escape, murder, corruption, isolation, shankings. Which genre am I talking about? So go polish your saddle horn, Ryan. Screw you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> wow. Wow. We are buttonheads here as we do each and every week on Cinema Jaw. We throw it to Tim. What did you think of this cinema war? Ryan, the movie guy, you made a very passionate, compelling argument for horses. Uh, and I, and I, I sort of see where you're coming from. But on the other hand, I think what, what Matt said, and it really comes down to this, and I, to me it's exemplified by Down by Law. Uh, which is one of my favorite movies and is the prison movie, is you get more out of the human condition by making people put in prison for and, and bad people. And it's more about redemption and all this. So, so I have to give it to Matt, even though I think you, you really worked it. Uh, and it, You did about it, as good as you can. As good as you can with horses. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't like horses, honestly. I love animals. The only animal I don't really like is horses. So... <laughs> <laughs> so the, the fact that you made me get close, that's good. Impressive. That's but good. I kind of give it to Matt. Cinematically speaking, the prison movie is the most important, one of the most important genres in all of, wow. all of yeah. All right. Matt, that earns you 20 seconds okay. of horse time. Okay. So, so, so here's what I have to say this week, guys. So there's always all this leaked footage, especially with big event movies like Endgame. I, I saw something just came out today, and it's, it's not only the Marvel movies Every big event tentpole movie seems to have spoilers and leaked stuff. You know what? I'm taking a page out of Ryan's book here, and I'm avoiding all that stuff for the first time. I just want to be surprised. I was so disappointed with how much of Shazam was spoiled by all the extended trailers and whatnot that I am avoiding everything, and I encourage all the jawheads and, and people listening to this to just stay away from the internet uh, surrounding Endgame. Turn off Twitter. Good advice, Matt K. Thank you. All right. Um, it brings us to trivia. And in honor of Endgame, we are playing game movie trivia. Think of movies with game in the title. Okay. Tim, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, you so get one trip. So game just in the title. Yes. You get one trip to the fish tank. Phil will fill you in. I'm going to let you go first, Matt. Okay. Question number one over to Matt K. Name the actress who played Katniss Everdeen in the Hunger Games franchise. Jennifer Lawrence. Start off easy, see Tim? Another easy one over to you. Another softball. What actor starred in the comedy The Game Plan as a star football player who finds out he has a young daughter? 
That's easy? <laughs> the Game Plan. Never even heard Uh-oh. of that movie. I thought it was. Is that The Rock? Dewing Johnson. See? Would you have accepted The Rock? Ah, uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, he, he was The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson at the time. Yes, okay, yeah, I would have okay. gave it to him. It is one-to-one, question three, back over to Matt. In 2014, Benedict Cumberbatch starred as Alan Turing, the guy who cracked the Enigma code, in what movie? Um, uh, okay, that was... Um, Something game, right? It's a good guess there. Benedict Cumberbatch played Alan Turing. Name the movie. Five seconds. Spy game. I got nothing. You got you know this one? Got the it. imitation game? Nice. Yes. Nice. Nice steal by Tim. He yeah. takes the lead two to one. And question four is over to Tim. The first time Harrison Ford played the character Jack Ryan was in this 1992 movie named... Patriot Games. Get off of my plane. Is that that one? <laughs> no, that's Air Force that's One. That's Air, Air Force, Force One. one. Sorry, <laughs> yes, my bad. Please. It is it's now Harrison Ford, though. Three True. to one. Big swing here. Three to one, Tim. Question five over to Matt K. Matt, in 2017, Jessica Chastain played an Olymp- Olympic skier who started to run a high-stakes poker game mm. in what movie? Molly's game. Three to two. <clears throat> I'm just waiting for the she got game question. Is that, is that coming? <laughs> Three to two, and question six is over to <laughs> is over to Tim. Spike Lee has directed one movie with the word game in the title. It came out in 1998 and starred Denzel Washington. Name it. Uh, um. You do have a lifeline if you need lifeline. it. Lifeline. Whoa, into the fish tank we go. Phil, name the Spike Lee movie that has game in the title. All righty. Your clue this week, Tim. Matt literally just said it. <laughs> uh, clue, clue game? Clue game. Or, uh, yeah, clue game, right? Got is in the title. She got game. No? God damn it. I, he? Fuck. He got game. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. I, you know. <laughs> four to two. Four to two, <laughs> That Tim. was a bit of a shit show, but. <laughs> Question seven over to Matt K. What actress starred alongside Ben Affleck in the film Reindeer Games as Ashley, who helps mastermind a casino robbery? Ben Affleck and who in Reindeer Games? Yeah. Uh, wow. Shit, I know this one. Okay. I, I, originally, wait. I was thinking of The Long Kiss Goodnight, and I was going to say... Um, Gia Davis. But yeah. no, that's not right. It's not right. Is it is, is it Charlize Theron? God damn it. I was going to fight you on that one. I was going to try to get wow. that one from you. Four to three. Comes down to the last question, Tim. You can win it on a walk-off right here. Name the actor who played the lead role of Cable in the 2009 movie Gamer. Um, it's Josh uh, Brolin. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. This question. <laughs> oh, come no, on. Uh, Okay, and uh, it is a uh, 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 not Ravy Stevenson. It's the other. It's the Irish guy. Um, no, wait. Cable was it? Um, Michael? No. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Gamer, not Ravy Stevenson. It's the other guy. It's the other innocuous, boring white guy who's in a lot of movies. Um, not Ravy Stevenson. 
He's Irish, but he plays American all the time. <laughs> I don't know if I could give him a, a, a ringer for that one. No. A uh, couple of seconds here. Um, uh, shit, I've had too many PBRs. <laughs> That's my strategy, by the way. You want another one? <laughs> yeah. F*** you, PBR. Hey. Matt, you can tie it up here. Okay. I will use my trip into the fish tank. Into the fish tank we go. Phil. What actor played Cable in the 2009 movie Gamer? I've never seen the movie, Tim. Oh, it's awful. Okay, good. Awful. Dexter is good in it, though. All righty, Matt. Your clue this week? It is not Michael C. Hall. He's <laughs> <laughs> Dexter, yeah. It is not Michael C. Hall. He's the bad guy. Ralph Fiennes. <sighs> oh. Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler! He's another <laughs> just white guy. God damn it. It's always like, is it... He's is not, it, though. I mean, he was likely Leonidas. Or, I don't know. He's just one of those guys. He just, hey, what was the what was the clue going to be for He Got Game? I'm curious. Uh, you got this. Oh. You got this. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Uh, that was a gimme. You guys, that was a gimme. All right. Uh, Tim does this one. Can I, uh, does win this yeah. one. Can I get a handshake here, gentlemen? No, wait. I, I feel no, like... that was it. It was four to three. That really? was it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You won. Barely. If it came down to a... a I thought we'd do Michael Douglas. I thought we were going the game because I felt like <laughs> There's a so David many good, Fincher movie. We, we got There's no Ender's game. How about this? I yeah. was just going to ask, better movie, War Games, or The Game? The game. With Michael Douglas. The game is great. Better than War Games? Oh, man, it's tough. Yeah. No, it's not, actually. It's not. <laughs> War Games. Really? Oh. The, the real jawbreaker was this. Age of the boring white guy, Gerard Butler. <laughs> 43. Lock him in at 43, Matt. You got to guess. <laughs> Come uh, on. No, I mean, that's probably pretty close. I'll go 45 just to make it interesting. We'd give it to you. 49, actually. What? Wow. Really? Yeah. He really? I thought he might up. be a little older, yeah. yeah he held up. So. But here's that thing, like it's like Ray Stevenson, Gerard Butler, no offense to those guys, like they're just the guy. The guy that's in a movie well, that I but, you know But you gotta give Gerard Butler three hundred. You have to give Ray Stevenson a bunch of stuff too. I I'm not saying they're not good guys. They're just the guys. They don't they're not American, they do American accents poorly, and they they and then they are charming in movies. Like mm -hmm. that's that's the whole thing, right? Like that yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. There are. Speaking of charming, what a yeah. guest Tim Seeley has been on Cinema Jaw. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Brings us to the end of a great jaw. And first and foremost, we got to thank Tim for coming back on. Well, thanks for having me. I, I love talking movies. You know, this I'd do it anytime. So yeah, awesome. Cool. We'll have you back for sure. And this time it won't take like four years. Wow, Jesus, was that the last I mean, It may be. Crazy. Three years at least. We also got to thank our engineer, the guy over there inside the fish tank, Phil. And also, me and Phil were at Star Wars Celebration. Did you have a good time, Phil? Oh, my God, it was incredible. I don't understand how you could not have a great time. <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, thank you, guys. Uh, I also would like to really quickly shout out Corbin the intern, too. I thought that's where you were going and said you had to make it about us, Ryan. Mm. Uh, I was going <clears> to <throat> do that, so well done. Yeah, oh, yeah. This is and his last day. Yeah. Yeah. We loved having Corbin over here. Absolutely. Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors. Yes, thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to Cards Against Humanity and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get cool sponsors. If like you them. would like to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you're getting this podcast. Yeah, and while you're there, just click subscribe on whatever app you're using. It does help us out quite a bit. Until next week when we're talking about Endgame, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay, and keep, keep on, on John about, about the movies. movies.